Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Results in France from the exit poll uh, can scarcely be overstated in their importance for the European Union, for France, for Europe, for the world. But I'll turn to those in a minute. Some housekeeping first. First of all, if you are watching this on Facebook where Mr. Algorithm has been unusually vigilant, unusually active, please share with every one of your contacts on Facebook. But if you are watching on screen on my YouTube channel, please subscribe. And while you're there, make a mental note to follow me on my Telegram channel, t.me forward slash George Galloway. I'll explain why in just a few minutes time. But the first thing I need to do, and I do it with absolute humility and gratitude, is to thank each and every one of you that donated last Sunday so generously that we managed to pay for the whole show from the donations from the general public. And I cannot stress how grateful I am to you for that. We did lose the moats extra in midweek for financial reasons. Most of you believe, I think, overwhelming that it would be a tragedy if we were to lose the regular Sunday night mother of all talk shows. The bad news is we've got to do it all again this week. So I'm not going to beg you. Uh, I'd rather take the show off the screen than beg you. I'm just going to say to you that for just $1, if you all donate, uh, then we'll be in clover. If each of you gives something, even a little, even $1, uh, then the show will be secure. So please, there's the PayPal details. If you don't want to pay by PayPal, then write to us at our email address, uh, which I'll give you and we'll put up on the screen, and we'll explain to you how you can make alternative arrangements. But PayPal is overwhelmingly the fastest and most efficient way for us to collect your donations. We're looking for a sponsor, and one or two people are nibbling at that possibility. What's not to love? Uh, You get an audience this week, Again, of more than one million, I'll give you the exact number uh, shortly when it comes up on the screen. More than one million people in a three-hour show, your logo can be behind me. Your company name can be on the ticker below me. I can be shouting out the fact that you are the sponsor of the show. It's a no-brainer. There's no television in the world Uh, that would deliver an audience of that size over that length of time for the amount of money we need from a sponsor. So it's very important 
that you don't forget that whilst you can watch free, there are no tuition fees. I'll keep speaking whether you give or not, but I won't be able to keep speaking indefinitely unless you make a donation. So please don't make me ask again in the course of the show. Get your donations in now. Now, Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen are facing each other off in the final round of the French presidential race. That much was predictable, but several things about today's first round of voting were not predicted, at least not by some of the people closest to me. It was imagined that Macron would be several clear points ahead of Le Pen. And it was predicted that my candidate, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, would be trailing very badly behind. In fact, Mélenchon got 19% of the vote. Macron got 24% of the vote. And Le Pen also got 24% of the vote. Although I predict that actually she will have finished the first round of voting ahead of Macron because of the shy Le Pen voter syndrome. Many people would have balked at telling the pollster at the gate of the polling station that they had voted for Le Pen, but they will in fact have done so. A phenomenon well known in the United States over Trump in Britain, over Thatcher, the shy Tory syndrome is a thing. Now this result is of enormous moment, why? First of all, there are two candidates to the right of Marine Le Pen who each polled 8%. That's 16% vote to the right of Le Pen that must be assumed overwhelmingly uh, to go to Le Pen in the second ballot next Sunday. But here's the important and perhaps clinching argument. Polling throughout this campaign has shown that whilst Mélenchon is the candidate of the left, a significant part of his voting bloc will next week either not vote at all or in quite startling numbers will vote for Le Pen. She recognized the potential of this phenomenon and pushed her economic policy farther and farther to the left. And because a lot of Mélenchon's voters are the former partisans of the PCF, the French Communist Party, once mighty, once led by the great Georges Marché, who was a communist gaullist, who didn't like the United States domination of Europe, who preferred Russia to the United States. His vote hasn't gone away, you know. And those who voted for Mélenchon in the first ballot, who lean in that direction, have also been catered for by Marine Le Pen's tilt towards hostility to the West's policy against Russia, against Russia in the form of sanctions, against Russia in the form of military assistance in the proxy war between NATO and Russia being fought over the dead bodies and destroyed cities of the Ukraine. So Le Pen is running against Macron next Sunday to his left on economic policy and I would call it to his left on international policy. She's running to his right 
on social policy, particularly towards Muslims. And you'll hear a lot this week. You'll hear much uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth and rending of garments from liberals everywhere uh, that Le Pen will be beastly to the Muslims and to the immigrants even though they themselves have spent decades murdering Muslims and supporting the murder of Muslims like that old lady a mother of seven children shot dead in cold blood on camera in Bethlehem of all places this very day. So killing Muslims is okay in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Libya, in Syria, in Yemen, and in Palestine, in Gaza, in the West Bank, that's all fine. But having a negative attitude towards Muslim women's headgear in France will shortly become the big issue in international politics because this is a potential death blow to the liberals, to the centrists, to the people who have been in power, to the Clintons, to the Bidens, to the US Democrats, to the Starmerites, to the Passocks everywhere. Incidentally, the French uh, Socialist Party, which once held the presidency regularly, has disappeared to the point of negligibility in the first round of the French presidential voting. People everywhere are going to start turning on their governments. Instead of blaming Russia and blaming Putin, they're going to start blaming their own leaders for the state that we are in. Even if they believe all the propaganda about which more later, even if they believe it, they can't do anything about Putin. They can't do anything about Russia, but they can do something about the Macrons, about the Boris Johnsons, about the von der Leyens, about all these European leaders. And in particular, they can do something about the shrunken chancellor of the Federal Republic of Germany, Schultz. Soldier Schultz is going to destroy his government on the rocks of his capitulation to Joe Biden on issues of trade, particularly in energy, but also in wheat, also in raw materials vital for the great manufacturing sector of the German economy. Even if the voters believe that this is all Putin's fault, they know they can do nothing about Putin, but they can do plenty about soldier Schultz. So him and his Green Party, grotesque Green Party in Germany, will, I predict, be swept away, maybe by the end of this 12 month, because the German people are not going to shiver and are not going to go hungry, are not going to see their industry slow down and stop because Joe Biden wants to have a proxy war with Russia on the body of Ukraine. These are big predictions I'm making. But I'm the one that predicted Le Pen's result today, just as I earlier predicted Donald Trump's victory. This is a victory by the same kind of forces against the same kind of forces. Macron is Clinton. Clinton is Macron. Both 
are either defeated or are now facing defeat. And the only way the Democrats could have clung on to power in the United States of America was by foul means not fair. As is increasingly clear in the Biden crime family affair, I hope to get an opportunity to ask some of our guests about it today. But a quick recap is necessary. The entire United States, deep state, all of its organs and all of its media suppressed a story and branded it as Russian disinformation that would have cost Joe Biden the presidential election. Well, undoubtedly, the polls are clear. If they'd known then what they know now, more than 10% of them would have voted differently. The suppression of that story by big tech, by the US media, and with the active collusion, maybe organization, of the deep state security services of the United States successfully interfered in the democracy of the American people. And they clung on by their fingernails, but the cost of it was they've got to have Joe Biden in power for the next couple of years. But in November, at the midterm elections, I predict that the Democrats will suffer a crushing landslide defeat, will thus lose control of the Congress, and will then be put on trial. Impeachment will be back on the agenda. Prosecution and imprisonment of members of the first family, not just the son, Hunter Biden, but others in the Biden crime family, will be on the table, on the television, in the courtroom, in the dock. So if Le Pen succeeds next Sunday, the implications are enormous. The implications for a Europe with a weak German leadership and a new Eurosceptic, Eurosceptic to say the least, leadership in France, the unwillingness to follow US diktat right over the cliff to be dashed on the rocks below will suddenly hit a brick wall. And I hope that that happens. Not because I support Marine Le Pen, I support Melanchon. But I entirely understand why many of Melanchon's voting base will do anything to destroy the bogus Blairite centrism of Emmanuel Macron, a pumped up little emperor on Cuban heels. He is undeserving of the leadership of the great people of France. And I hope that Mélenchon now will rebuild a powerful left in France that can be a beacon, a revolutionary beacon, as France has been so often historically, uh, to left-thinking people, socialists all over the world. We'll talk later in the show about these things. Imran Khan is out. His life is in danger. It's reported that he is on the no-fly list. He's unable to leave the country. It may be that he faces arrest. It may be that he faces much worse than arrest. Everything I said last Sunday, I stand by. 
I'm not one of Imran Khan's party men. I don't know, and it's not my business, how good he is or not as a prime minister. I'm only interested in this simple basic fact. Imran Khan has been overthrown in a coup organized by the United States of America, who wished to retain Pakistan at a distance of thousands of miles and absolute contempt and neglect to keep Pakistan as their plaything. Against Russia, yes, but mainly against China. This coup is so that the United States can install military bases in Pakistan, the better with which to threaten China, to complete the encirclement of China with US military bases. And as I said, the first bitter fruits of this coup d'etat which has been mounted in Islamabad with the collusion of stooges, American stooges, has been tasted in blood by people in Afghanistan this evening. American cruise missile attacks, which would not have been permitted by Imran Khan, have been launched against the people of Afghanistan. For what purpose? We don't know. What the alleged or avowed targets were, we don't know. But war has returned to Pakistan. Not just American war by proxy, about the potential, depending on what happens next, because there will be no general election now. It's all been overturned. Khan was going to take his case to the people. I thought that if he did, he would sweep the country in a landslide victory, but none of that will now be possible. So what happens to the half of the country that supported Imran Khan and reject Pakistan as a plaything, as a proxy of the United States of America, as it was at great cost throughout the 1980s in the long war in Afghanistan. And I wonder if you remember how all that turned out. Only time for a couple of minutes on the British political scene. Britain has a finance minister called the Chancellor of the Exchequer. His name is Rishi Sunak. Rishi Sunak is a man worth hundreds of millions of pounds. And he answers to the name of Lucky because he married a woman who is the heiress, not to hundreds of millions of pounds, but to billions of pounds. It now turns out that the British finance minister for 18 months secretly held a green card allowing him to do business and to work in the United States of America while his billionaire wife was registered offshore, not paying a penny in tax while her husband was the Minister of Finance. I'm not making any of this up. This has actually just happened. Now, in the annals of political corruption, especially Tory corruption, but not only Tory corruption, this is on the front page. This is on the cover. The man whose duty it is to pursue individuals, small businesses, 
even to break individuals and small businesses, to collect their taxes. His wife has got her billions offshore deliberately to avoid paying any tax on them at all, whilst he has a green card in his pocket ready to make a quick getaway uh, to the United States of America. Should he resign? <laughs> Is the Pope a Catholic? How can you possibly have a finance minister whose wife is a tax dodger? Do you know what he's done? He's demanded an immediate inquiry. Not into his wife, not into himself, but into who leaked the facts that I have just imparted to you. Shoot the messenger, find them, strap them to a stake and burn them, but don't dare raise the obvious point. I'm still listening and waiting for the so-called opposition in Britain to say anything about any of this, anything meaningful. Why haven't they tabled a motion of no confidence in the Chancellor of the Exchequer? Why haven't they brought him to the bar of the House and prosecuted him for what is quite evidently, if not an illegal act, then an act so immoral that no political figure would be able to survive it. I'm still waiting for Keir Starmer. Boris Johnson thinks he won the next British general election by strolling around downtown Kiev in his civvies just this week. There was no sign of war, no sign of bombardment. In fact, this is a war that has been largely characterized by a lack of war footage. Certainly there was none visible when Boris Johnson visited President Zelensky in Kiev to hand over still more of our country's money to him in the form of weapons supplies to keep the war going. Now, here's another prediction for you. The day will come and it will come soon when many, many people will realize that they've been lied to, that they've been had, that advantage was taken of them because they did not understand what lies behind and what lies beneath this situation in the Ukraine. We'll talk more about it later. I've already outstayed my welcome. Can I throw to the poll? Uh, will Marine Le Pen be the next Donald Trump? Will Marine Le Pen be the next Donald Trump? A, yes, B, no. You can vote on my Twitter feed, on my YouTube channel, please subscribe, and on my Telegram channel, t.me forward slash George Galloway. By the way, the figure from last week was one million. 104,075. That was the audience last week. Let's see if we can beat it this week. Munib Hamid is a broadcast journalist from Pakistan covering international relations, and he's a commentator and political analyst 
very well respected. Uh, Monib, uh, welcome to the show. I'm uh, grateful to you for joining me, especially as it's not early. It's uh, late at night where you are. Um, am I right in saying uh, that the first round has gone to the United States and its allies uh, in the Pakistan opposition, that Imran Khan is no more, and that his life is potentially now at risk. Uh, thank you, George, for having me here. It is a pleasure and an honor to be here with you. And uh, I guess, yeah, uh, keeping in view, looking at the situation, how it developed last night, it was one hell of a night last night and we couldn't sleep all night because of what was happening in uh, Pakistan and of course we saw uh, a lot of surprises coming up. Uh, the Supreme Court opened at midnight, uh, the Islamabad High Court opened at 10 p.m. Uh, then the Election Commission of Pakistan was opened, uh, although it was a holiday. Uh, we, we were seeing a lot of things happening so it does seem it, it doesn't seem actually, it is confirmation that the U.S. had won the first round. Yes, that is true. Now, what happens next? Uh, what will happen, first of all, uh, to Imran Khan personally? Uh, we are expecting, uh, as the uh, former uh, Minister for Information had stated today, that uh, the PTI uh, government, uh, the former PTI government, and now the PTI chairman, Imran Khan, it's quite hard to digest this so far, uh, but they have decided that they are maybe going for the resignations, but that is not confirmation. Uh, but this thing is certain that Imran Khan is going to come on the roads and he is going to gather the public support. And as today, as we're speaking, uh, nationwide protests are happening and uh, thousands of people have rallied in Islamabad to show support for Imran Khan. And this is what he had uh, in his mind. And this is what he had stated earlier in his uh, addresses to the nation, in his speeches, that I am going to the, club, uh, to the public and uh, the public is going to help me and the public is not slave unlike the uh, ministers unlike the mnas unless uh, unlike the other political parties they are not slave they are uh, people who believe in independence in sovereignty and this is what imran khan is going to do he is going to gather the public support and uh, come out against the government but he can't get a general election, can he, unless a given number of MNAs resign. I'm presuming that number is larger than the number he has still loyal to him. So he needs 172 resignations if they are to dissolve the National Assembly. And if the National Assembly dissolves, that is the only way they can move to the elections. Now, Imran Khan doesn't have 172, uh, 172 members with him, because if he had 172 members, he would have won the no motion, uh, the no confidence motion against him. So it is a it is a very tricky situation now, and we have to see as uh, how it develops. Uh, but the point is that Imran Khan is uh, not going to give up. Uh, this is very clear. And uh, even if he doesn't have those numbers, uh, this is very much possible that uh, uh, he might not uh, decide to resign from the National Assembly. He might stay there. He might appoint an opposition leader. He might force and he might push uh, the sitting government into opening an investigation into that letter, which the National Security Committee of Pakistan, which was 
in, in, in the meeting, all the army chiefs were present and the DGISI was present and they all endorsed that threat letter. Uh, they called uh, the um, U.S. ambassador to the foreign minister, uh, to the foreign minister's office. And they protested the Senate Marche. So they have endorsed the letter. So now the point is, and uh, the, the, the number one thing that Imran Khan is going to push is to open an independent investigation to find out whether the letter he says is a threat letter received from the United States is truth or not, whether it's real or whether it's fake, because there is a debate happening in Pakistan. There is a certain amount of society which claims that the letter, the threat letter received and endorsed by the National Security Committee is fake. If the letter was fake, how come the National Security Committee endorsed the letter? They called the uh, U.S. ambassador, the Senator Demarche. So this is something which is happening in Pakistan. It it is uh, it is uh, it is a mess here. Uh, but let's see. Uh, Imran Khan is not going to give up. Uh, that's for certain. That's for sure. And uh, he is going to push uh, for an investigative uh, committee uh, uh, so that they can find the truth to the investigation, uh, in, into the investigation of the letter. And uh, of course, since Imran Khan uh, could not uh, uh, release uh, the letter and show to the mass public because of the Security Act. But this is certain that after the National Security Committee's endorsement uh, with all the uh, forces chiefs present, uh, this does make a very, very big difference. Now, uh, who will be the new government? Uh, one presumes it will be uh, the Sharif brothers. Nawaz and Shabazz Sharif have been in double harness in the Punjab and in the uh, national government of Pakistan for so many years, uh, decades, uh, in fact. Uh, but uh, Nawaz Sharif is terribly, terribly ill. That's why he was released to come to England. Presumably, he's not in a state to return and become prime minister again. Does that mean that his brother Shabazz, whom I know quite well, I may say, last time I spoke to him was in Edgewell Road. Uh, I think he owns some fine properties there. Uh, will he be the prime minister? Right, George. So now Shabazz uh, Sharif is the uh, selected, is the selected, the terminology goes to Shabazz Sharif now, which they have been uh, claiming about Imran Khan. So yeah, Shabazz Sharif is uh, eyeing the position of the Prime Minister of Pakistan and uh, expectedly, expectedly, this isn't confirmed, but uh, Molana Fazlur Rahman is eyeing for the position of the President of Pakistan. And uh, Nawaz Sharif, uh, interestingly, uh, he had uh, a confirmed uh, flight from uh, London to Islamabad on the 3rd of April, the date on which the uh, counting, uh, on which the day the motion was to be moved in the National Assembly and the voting was to be done. But uh, the Speaker, uh, the Deputy Speaker of the National Assembly, ruled out the voting, and uh, then we saw uh, uh, a cancellation of Nawaz Sharif's seat uh, from London to Islamabad. So it seems that he was really, really ill. He was really, really sick. His platelets, uh, you know, they're just up and down. And before 3rd April, he was really sick. On 3rd April, he became perfect. And then uh, on the evening of 3rd April, when the speaker ruled out uh, the motion, so he, he became sick again. 
And obviously, he has been running away from the courts. Uh, he is in London, and you have seen his properties uh, worth millions of pounds, embezzled, money laundered. Uh, he is a runaway from the Pakistani courts. He's been convicted. He's been sentenced. Uh, he, is, uh, he cannot run for elections. So uh, Shabash Sharif is the man who is going to come into power, and we are expecting a lot of changes uh, from the new government. Uh, for example, they are going to offer uh, NROs uh, to all of these corrupt politicians, to all of these members who have helped um, the Sharifs or the Pakistan Democratic Movement in ousting uh, Imran Khan. Uh, we, we are also possibly seeing that now, Shabash, uh, now Nawaz Sharif has turned all perfect and he's, he's, um, he's the fittest he's ever been in his life now. Uh, after the ouster of Ibrahim Khan. So we also are expecting a return of Nawaz Sharif to the country. And uh, once he comes back to the country, so the sitting uh, prime minister, his younger brother, might give him NRO, uh, National Reconciliation Order, and, you know, all is forgiven. And uh, he might again uh, become the chairman of the political party. It's a, it's a, it's a mess. But the thing is, uh, the thing is that uh, the uh, new government to come, is going to make a lot of changes and uh, amounting to uh, the complete cleansing of the uh, cases, corruption cases, murder cases against them, against their loyal members who were bought uh, by uh, millions of rupees and uh, of which there is video proof, interestingly. Uh, but uh, very interestingly, the Supreme Court in Pakistan uh, was listening uh, to Shabash Sharif uh, review petition uh, when the deputy speaker, uh, you know, cancelled the, the uh, voting motion. So Shabazz Sharif was a runaway. He was a convicted money launderer and he was not appearing in local courts because whenever the courts asked him uh, to make an appearance so that they can indict him. So Shabazz Sharif al always used to make the excuse of uh, health issues, uh, and but miraculously, he somehow, uh, you know, maybe he took some injections or whatever, some some powerful medicines that he was able to go to the Supreme Court of Pakistan and stand in front of the Chief Justice of Pakistan, and the Chief Justice of Pakistan was listening to a convict, a money launderer, a person who uh, has not been answering the courts of Pakistan. So this was also a very big surprise. And I mean, last night, uh, George, we saw Imran Khan uh, under really hot waters. And uh, we saw how the entire country's institutions united against this one man. Not, and he's not being ousted. He's not being thrown out of power because of corruption. He's not being thrown out of power because he's, uh, he's embezzled money or money laundering or any other corruption charges. His only charge was that he said absolutely not to the United States. He went to Russia when the U.S. were forcing him to not visit Russia. And he said that I am going to make a sovereign state with an independent foreign policy. 
And my people, 220 million people, are not slave to any man or country. This is the reason why they all want him out. And of course, his fight against the corruption inside Pakistan. Because if he stays in power, they know he is going to get them all behind the bars. Well, he's used to standing alone at the crease. Uh, and he may well have lost the first round, but nobody should bet against him coming back. Thanks uh, very much indeed, Munib, for joining us at this late hour from Pakistan. I'm hoping very much that Imran uh, will make an appearance too. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, the poll, will Marine Le Pen be the next Donald Trump? Yes, 67, no, 31 on Twitter. Uh, yes, 69, no, 31 on YouTube. And on Telegram, yes, 71, no, 29. Now, the war drags on, of course. Uh, bloody, unnecessary war in Ukraine. It's dragged on now for eight long years, a war of attrition and then a new kind of war with the Russian invasion of the country in uh, the last week of uh, February. It is, of course, a melancholy disaster for the people uh, of the Ukraine, but it is not going to come to an end anytime soon. The Eurocrats were quite clear in their statement yesterday that this war must be won on the battlefield, thus ruling out any negotiated solution to the killing. The United States is willing to fight to the last drop of Ukrainian blood, and now so is the European Union, and so is the right sector, and the Azov, and all the other ultra-nationalist banderites uh, that infest the political life of Western Ukraine. We will increasingly have to start seeing Ukraine as two places. Eastern Ukraine, uh, where 40% of the population lived, and which is overwhelmingly Russian in character, and 60% in the west of the country, uh, which looks towards Europe, looks towards the United States, but evinces some of the most horrific ethos and actions uh, that one will ever see, ever see on social media, of course. Uh, they will not see it on the Western television. They didn't show on the Western television the Russian soldier strapped to an anti-tank tramp, uh, tortured and then set on fire. But many people have seen it because they perhaps helpfully filmed themselves doing it. Many people are aware of the war crimes that are being committed in this conflict, some of them obvious in their origin, others less obvious, all of them urgently requiring independent investigation by the United Nations, which appears to have gone completely dumb. The Western governments are piling in weapons, 
even though those weapons are then very quickly being destroyed and lost. I gave you the example. Last Sunday, Slovakia delivered a whole battery of S-300 anti-aircraft weapons, uh, which by this Sunday have all been completely destroyed. If one were to calculate the value of Western military equipment, which has been given to Western Ukraine and which has now been either captured uh, by the Russian forces or destroyed uh, by a Russian missile and air attack, it would undoubtedly run into billions. And those are your billions. They are billions that you needed here at home. Billions that you needed for your crumbling infrastructure, billions that you, you needed to pay down your spiraling debt, billions that you needed to keep your people warm in the wintertime and keep your wheels of industry turning. I'm very clear as to how this is going to end. I'm clear that it's going to go on for a long, long time, perhaps as long as I have remaining on this earth. But the possibility of World War III erupting on the territory of Ukraine has inched closer. The European declaration yesterday or the day before that the war must go on until it is won is a recipe for endless war. Whether the European public and the North American public are prepared to pay for that in every way, in a long, cold summer and a bitter winter at the end of this year remains to be seen. But the political class and the military-industrial complex have not lost their hunger for war against Russia. Now let's talk to someone who's there. George Eliasson is an American investigative journalist in Donbass, covering the war. And I'm very, very glad to meet him. George, thanks uh, for uh, coming uh, on the mother of all talk shows. Give us uh, some background first. Uh, where are you from and why are you there? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, originally. And I was here a long time before the war started. I moved to um, Ukraine in 2010. I lived a few years in West Ukraine, and I moved to Donbass in 2012. So I predate the war here, and I didn't come here for it. It came for us. Well, it was uh, ill-fated in uh, many respects, uh, although it has allowed you to emerge as one of the star reporters uh, of the conflict, because only two years after you went there, the coup in Kiev took place and the war began. Mm -hmm. How is it? Yeah, been? I was, um, I broke, well, early on, um, I broke uh, a lot of the, the first stories about everything coming, you know, Maidan, everything coming out of Maidan in the West. Back then, um, Ukraine didn't was just kind of unorganized in its media operation. And it was actually leaders of the diaspora that were 
uh, doing a commenting, trying to deplatform people. And you'd have Radio Svoboda trying to tear apart articles that you wrote. That's what it was like then. Right now, they have, in 2022, Ukraine has a 300,000-person IT army. And they're doing DDoS hacks across the world. They're attacking companies, people, deplatforming people, demonetizing people, um, getting news out of Donbass, out of the republics is very difficult. And they're, because of all the uh, deplatforming and demonetizing from 2015, 2016 and onward, a lot of the news and opinion platforms are afraid to carry news from here. That allowed them to, when they started the info war, to literally leave everybody else voiceless. And it's the same people that were doing it in 2014. Um, once in a while, I, I talked to the manager of the media operation. He contacts me to gloat. Yeah. Uh, now, their media operation is, of course, uh, lavishly funded uh, from the West. Uh, the Kiev Independent newspaper, for example, uh, is revealed uh, to have been kickstarted basically by, I think, Canadian funding. There's uh, millions of pounds being spent, dollars being spent uh, on the media operation. And President Zelensky uh, has had a good war uh, on a personal level. Uh, I mean, he's on the front page of the magazines. He's posing in photo shoots. I saw one today with, uh, with sacks behind him that were supposed to look like uh, uh, defensive ramparts, but were on closer inspection found to be uh, sacks of sugar. Uh, the 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 whole operation to uh, glamorize uh, the uh, president of Ukraine has been an enormous success, hasn't it? Well, it, it should. Um, the companies that actually put this together are out of, are out of the UK. Uh, they came out of Saatchi and Saatchi. You're familiar with their work, yes? Yeah. Uh, from Margaret Thatcher and such. Then you're familiar with uh, Nigel Oakes, SEL. Um, are you familiar with Iota, Iota Global, Colonel Steve Tatum? Go on. Um, they started, pardon? Yes, well, go on. Iota Global, Iota Global was the only uh, information operation company in the world that had to get military licensing. Uh, these people could literally drop boots on the ground next to you. That's what their licensing is. And they were out of the UK. They started their contract in around 2011, 2012 in Ukraine, doing all the prep work for Maidan, getting it set up as a media operation. Now, a lot of it's funded by the various diasporas, okay, Ukrainian diasporas and other friendly diasporas, they work together. Um, if you look at the MH17 investigation, 
Now, everything that actually went uh, to the Netherlands came out of Ukraine's information operations group. It was Inform Napalm, Bellingcat, etc. that was set up by SCL. And they were on a Canadian government contract for that. And that's actually public information. You just need to know where to look for it. Now, as it turned into the 2016 elections, you'll notice if you think back, everything kind of went quiet in Ukraine. It's because the same people were focusing on Hillary Clinton's election. So when you look at the Steele dossier, it was groups associated with the information operations in Ukraine itself. You had their um, anti-censor group um, that found, the, uh, we'll say, the Manafort Black Book, start with that. Well, it, they were with Pravi Sector and the actual guy on social media that got Maidan rolling were all together. And they found something that was impossible to find because it didn't exist. It was Ukraine's hacking groups that actually put it together. And I've documented all the people involved with that. We're running out of time, George. So tell people how they can read your sure. stuff. Oh, God, a lot of the platforms were taken down. I'm starting to put it up at um, Substack right now. You can find me on Muckrack if you're looking for it. I'll certainly be reading uh, anything that you have Actually, written, George. Thanks for joining us uh, on the mother of all talk shows. The European governments, hook, line, and sinker, with some exceptions, uh, the Austrian chancellor is flying to Moscow tomorrow uh, to meet with the Russian president, Vladimir Putin. That may or may not be of some significance. It's certainly unexpected. And it's unclear as to uh, who he's talking for, uh, if anyone else at all, other than the Austrian government. But the Austrian government has been clear uh, that it cannot survive uh, cutting off Russian oil and gas and wheat and other manufacturing imports uh, of uh, basic commodities and raw materials, without which the Austrian government cannot function. Ditto uh, the government of Hungary. Uh, and ditto other European governments, though with varying degrees of sotto voce. Uh, but the time will come when all of them will have to speak out in one voice uh, that they're not prepared to sacrifice their economies uh, on the altar of Joe Biden's desperate attempt to maintain the United States empire's hegemony in the world, that they can't afford to fight Russia, let alone fight Russia and China at the same time. So we thought we'd talk to a man who has studied the impact of sanctions, uh, the impact on the receiving country and the impact on the imposing country. And he is Professor Marcello Ferrada de Noli. He's a Swedish professor of epidemiology and chief editor of the Indita, founder of Swedish Doctors for Human Rights. 
the indicter. Sounds like a, a formidable uh, publication, Professor. Thank you for uh, joining us. Who should we indict first uh, would be uh, many people's question. Uh, but uh, how do you evaluate the impact of these truly extraordinary sanctions that have been imposed on Russia? 6,000 uh, sanctions are now in place on the Russian economy. If you want a, a yardstick for that, there are 600 sanctions uh, currently imposed on the government of Venezuela. Uh, tell us, Professor, how do you evaluate these? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, you know, George, we are living uh, times of war, and all main news and our everyday imagery is invaded of uh, episodes happening on the war fronts. So one first association, let me tell you this, that I got when I received the invitation to this show, the mother of all talks shows, inevitably, the association arising, my recall, was the mother of all bombs. Uh, there was a powerful artifact that the United States thrown in Afghanistan, as you remember. Do you know, yes. it was so powerful that according to the reports at the time, I heard that on American TV, the earth-shaking waves were felt intensely in the perimeter of miles away, the epicenter of the explosion. Now, answering to your question, yes. The impact of the bombastic economic sanctions that the United States and its clients in the European Union thrown against Russia is now reaching intensely and increasingly the economies in the vicinity of the intentional target, meaning the economy of the Russian Federation. So that has had an impact felt and increasingly um, uh, seriously in uh, in the European countries. So um, another automatic association I got uh, with this item uh, was for me to recall that even if the United States and NATO has at disposal that but I name it the mother of all bombs, the Russians, for their part, developed one of its own. It's a bomb reputed to actually being four times more powerful than the Americans. Uh, they have a blast of impact of 
44 tons or whatever uh, TNT. And that is known as the father of all bombs. So uh, there is a dynamic here too, you know, uh, using this um, uh, allegory. Um, sanctions are intended to um, decimate the economy of the Russian Federation, but the things are actually acting as a boomerang. There, there is a response uh, uh, that uh, we might be uh, expected from the Russia, but the sanction itself, they are hurting and very badly uh, the uh, European economies. We have uh, this in terms of inflation, we have in terms of chart, uh, touch of um, gas, uh, coal, and uh, oil, uh, and benzene prices they are rocking up, etc., etc. Well, what I mean so it's is the mother, uh, it's the, mo the mother of all boomerangs, uh, Professor. Let's look at the epicenter of that, uh, that uh, backfire, uh, which has to be Germany. I mean, Britain, uh, which depends less on Russian oil and gas, uh, has petrol at almost two pounds per liter. I've just bought some. Uh, almost two pounds per liter, 192 uh, per liter, which for the old fashioned among us uh, is uh, a, a price of eight and a half pounds per gallon. Uh, this is in Britain where our dependence is less. Uh, but Germany is where the dependence is greatest. And they have a coalition government uh, with no great stability about it. How do you think it will impact on Germany? Well, it would impact very much in Germany, not only Germany, in Italy too, and all those countries that they have um, um, a high dependency of, of the Russian oil. In, uh, you know, in general terms, is 40% of their, of their uh, I'm sorry, the natural gas is coming from, from, from Russia. Now, you, have, you mentioned this in, in, in Germany. There is a coalition government. They have the, the Greens, uh, part of that government. They are being high in their... Uh, uh, um, uh, in their agenda of uh, the environmental agenda, and you know, and, and, and now with this um, uh, crisis, they are thinking to resort to to, to the old the nuclear um, uh, basic uh, energy providers, and, and, yeah. and that will and coal and coal and coal. Yes, exactly. And now. Uh, well, about the coal, we have these sanctions, the new sanctions from the European Union. They would also uh, cut the, the, the imports of, of coal from from, the, from Russia. But the, the question is, where are they going to get, you know, the, 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 the alternative uh, uh, coal and, and, and the natural gas, etc.? They are not prepared for that. And uh, what they were prepared was to, to implement the, the, the Nord Stream 2. But that, uh, after the pressure of the United States, they cut the possibility too. So, so so they are just starting, you know, the, 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 the fall, uh, uh, the economic fall, the, the crisis just starting in Europe, and not only in Germany, I insist. Um, then yes, we have a also very, a, a very, very good point. Uh, there are many uh, European countries uh, vulnerable. And as I said earlier in the introduction, the Austrian chancellor is flying to Moscow tomorrow to meet with Putin. Have you any idea what that's about? 
Uh, no, actually, um, but but the thing is that um, uh, what that those talks can be converted in that uh, Austria could be uh, a new um, uh, factor in, in trying to to bring about uh, talks and, and understanding uh, between the conflicted uh, parties. That that is one um, uh, one um, derivative that I believe that it could result of, of this visit. Um, we know that Austria has been very reluctant to, to or even opposing uh, the mainstream um, uh, the mainstream um, agenda of the European Union, which is actually is the, the United States agenda. Without these people fully understand what is going on, you see, this is about German, for instance, uh, the, the the conflict, the conflict between Russia and uh, Ukraine, the, the the war uh, was started by um, by. Ukraine or those who were inside the world uh, for eight years ago, and then uh, they were sure or pretty sure what was going to happen if they were going to um, conceal to, to Russia that uh, actually they were not they, they did not have intentions to to um, to um, to admit uh, Ukraine in NATO. They said to NATO to Ukraine uh, in secrecy, we're not going to get you inside NATO. But they kept repeating uh, the opposite to Russia. So uh, they were uh, provoking this war. So uh, the thing, I mean, the, the plan, the plan of the United States was so clear from the beginning. And in this plan is what I mean. In this plan, I. My uh, well, I think that that it was also the um, the weakening of the German uh, economy because uh, the German economy is the strongest in, in, in Europe, and with all those situations, you know, it's, it's going to suffer. Not only the economy is going to suffer, their political stand, and, and on top of that, now they are uh, increasing their, their military budget, and and all that is going to uh, to to have a very severe impact in their economy and in, in, in their lives at, at all, and and that. Who is going to be the winner of that situation? Of course, the United States. So, so, so there's a lot of, of measures that the European Union is promoting without really thinking what would be the consequences for for their own peoples. And, and um, uh, yeah, and then and sanctions, you know, sanctions. They are not, uh, as you know, it, it, there is not an, an equation. The sanctions and results, and they're going to destroy this government. Well, that is not so. We have we have examples in history. We have no, no, no. In history, we have Cuba. You know, during fifty-four years, the United States have been. Um, Imposing economic sanctions against Cuba, and 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 there you have Cuba still standing. You have 56 years of sanctions against the uh, North Korea government, and there you have the North Korea government, you know, sending uh, propelling rockets uh, of intercontinental dimension. So um, uh, sanctions per se uh, might very well, as you as you uh, as you mentioned yourself, uh, converted in a boomerang for those who were. Um, throwing them, um, they have consequences, and, and those consequences uh, are, are, um, are unpredictable in many cases. We know that by history.
Professor Donnelly, thank you for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Much obliged to you. Now, uh, the mother of all talk shows is expanding again. You can now watch us on Rumble. Let's get ready to rumble. Go to rumble.com and search George Galloway. You'll find the live stream of this show. So if uh, for whatever reason you can't find us on the usual channels, that's where we will be. You can also search getter.com. Again, you'll find me there uh, live streaming. I've, uh, I'm going to be putting much more time into Getter. It's a new platform for me, but I'm encouraged by the early reaction to my interventions there. So if you were used to finding me elsewhere, that's probably where I'll be hanging out now. Now let's uh, go to the phones, people reacting in very large numbers uh, to tonight's stories. Let's go to New York first to talk with Daniel. Daniel, welcome to the mother of all talk shows. Hi, thank you so much, George. I'm, 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 I'm so happy to be here. I'm, I'm really uh, a great admirer of yours, and I, I always appreciate you. you covering the topics thank you. Um, that have been thank messed you. by the mainstream. You're very welcome, George. Thank you, sir. Uh, I wanted to, I just wanted to cover with you what's happening in Pakistan, and I know you've touched with your guests, and I think they uh, are very comprehensive coverage. But what I'm seeing from 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 here is really a, a continuation of of um, of neocolonialism project happening there. There's really a, uh, like if you look at the protests that are that are happening right now in Pakistan across all the cities. You, you notice, first of all, the mainstream media is not covering it there. And, uh, and second, you see that people are really passionate and they're talking about continuation of the, the fight for freedom. And one of the things that colonialism does, uh, you know, is basically destroy the, the, the institutions. All of the institutions in this case have failed. And, 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 uh, and now what we are left with is, is, uh, is a democratic government that's been ousted by a foreign uh, influence. And, and, and it reminds me of the book Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John mm -hmm. Perkins. Um, and I just wanted to see, you know, what you, where do you see this going? I mean, this can get really, really ugly um, because, as you mentioned, his, uh, Imran Khan's life is in danger. Um, so I wanted to just kind yes. of... You know, and, and, and Daniel, it's paradoxically more in danger the bigger these protests become. Uh, because, of course, if they become uncontrollable, uh, irresistible, uh, then Imran Khan will be swept back into power. And if he's swept back into power, he's going to deal with these corrupt and failed institutions that were the tool for the United States in effecting this regime change operation. Imran Khan has cleverly uh, pitched this argument as a new freedom struggle, as an anti-colonial struggle. And you are quite right to highlight it, that the Pakistan could, I know it very well, only too well, uh, Pakistan could be an economic miracle. It has uh, this landmass, this gigantic population, 200 and 20 million. This seaboard uh, in Karachi, in Sindh, this uh, access to the uh, Chinese market, to uh, the Asian market, to the Middle East and Gulf market. It has 
uh, an Islamic importance amongst the two billion or more uh, Muslims in the world. It is potentially a superpower, uh, but as long as it remains shackled uh, to the former and now neo-colonial powers uh, of the West, which is 10% of the world's population and very, very far away, uh, then uh, it can never realize its potential. So I think that uh, the coming struggle uh, will determine whether Pakistan is a free country or a vassal state, uh, whether the Pakistanis are free men and women or whether they are slaves. And I, I've got little doubt as to what the final outcome of that uh, struggle will be. Uh, the problem for Imran Khan is the more powerful and successful this movement becomes, and I just looked at uh, the demonstrations, uh, I think it's in Islamabad, but it is truly not a sea of people, it is an ocean uh, of people. And if that is being reflected in other cities, particularly in Lahore, uh, which is uh, Imran Khan's uh, own hometown, home city, uh, then that will be very, very significant uh, indeed. Daniel, thanks for that call. Martin is in England in County Durham on the Ukraine. Go ahead, Martin. Hello, George. Nice to speak to you. It's to do with Zelensky. Am I the only person in the UK who doesn't see him as a messiah? Because everybody's falling over him, praising him. When I think he's a con man. Uh, no, you're not the only person. Uh, there's the and, oh, right. and I suspect a larger number than than you and I. Uh, I think that uh, he gives the impression of uh, enjoying this war rather too much. He is basking and in he, the uh, international adulation and counting the his winnings. And of course, he already, according to the uh, Pandora Papers, uh, was revealed to be an extremely rich man, the richest comedian in all human history. And he was a comedian in Ukraine, one of the poorest countries in the European uh, continent. So it's not quite clear uh, how he got so rich, but he his future is well set. That is for sure. Uh, I ask you to recall, Martin, that he was elected to make peace with Russia. That was his platform. That was, I, one must presume, his intention uh, to heal the breach with the eastern half of the country and heal the breach with uh, Russia. But he has not been able to do that, even if he wanted to. First of all, because the United States and NATO is the United States. Let's not beat about the bush on that. And the far right in Ukraine uh, would not let him uh, do so. And they will not let him now, even if he wanted to bring about uh, reconciliation, bring about a negotiated settlement. So, no, uh, I think uh, the day will come, Martin, where people will say to you, as they will say to me, hey, you were right about that guy all along. We were lied to. We were fooled. Uh, Two-thirds, three-quarters 
uh, of the respondents think that Le Pen may well, may well be the next uh, Donald Trump. But here's the second poll of the night. Should Rishi Sunak resign? I explained at the beginning the truly extraordinary circumstances, facts, in which the man charged with collecting British taxes has a wife who is a billionaire who has been dodging British taxes and that he himself had a U.S. green card in his pocket just in case the going got rough. Uh, you couldn't make this up. Now, Sunak has asked, this is laughable, this is how very British is this? Sunak has asked his next door neighbor, the British prime minister, who appointed him and on whose sufferance he remains in office, to refer him, to refer himself to the independent uh, arbitrator of ministerial, ministerial conduct. What could possibly go wrong with that? So should Rishi Sunak resign? Uh, it's on uh, Twitter, it's on YouTube, and it's on Telegram. Still vote right up to the end of the show. Let's go to Hawaii. Who wouldn't? Hawaii 5-0, where Matteo awaits. Go ahead, Matteo. Hello, my friend, uh, long-time listener, fourth-time caller. I, I want to talk about a book by uh, Sun Tzu called The Art of War, and I'm wondering yes, if you're familiar yes. with that. I've okay, yes. that is required, required reading by all military leaders across the planet. Everybody should know what is in that book. Now, let me tell you what's happening with Putin. And the propaganda machines that are happening in the East and the West. The West is saying that Putin is retreating and failing and all of these sorts of things. But let me give you a little example of Sun Tzu's art of war and how Putin is utilizing it. He went up into looking like he was going to attack Kiev. He amassed a massive amount of military around that area. Okay. And then what happened? The propaganda machine of the West said that he was retreating from that area because of all of the great help that we've given the Ukraine. But in fact, that was a, uh, a trick in order for Putin to amass his military around the southern and eastern ends of Ukraine. Does anybody understand the propaganda machine, the West propaganda machine is telling its people that Putin is failing and he's a nutcase and, and all this stuff. The East propaganda machine is saying that he's fighting against a, a machine that's pushing up against his borders called NATO and the EU. What is your opinion about this? Well, uh, overwhelmingly, the Russian people support the action of their armed forces and the uh, opinion poll ratings of Putin have never been higher. Indeed, nobody ever in Russia has gotten opinion poll ratings like it. And before anyone uh, shouts uh, fix, let me say that the polling company concerned is owned and controlled by the opposition parties in Russia. He is something like 87% popular, the war something like 83% popular. So uh, most people in Russia are more concerned 
about uh, whether or not the war will be called off uh, by the Russian leadership, concerned about international ostracism uh, and the rest before its objectives are reached. So uh, I am uh, not sure that you're right, uh, that Putin did not intend to take Kiev. I rather think he did. Uh, I rather think that he thought that an uprising would occur in Kiev and that uh, a new political uh, power would emerge in Kiev that was ready to uh, do business uh, with Russia. It may even be the case uh, that uh, they paid people uh, to uh, rise up. And it may be the case that those they paid ran off with the money uh, without conducting the uprising. But hey, what do I know? Uh, I don't speak for Russia. I don't know their mind. Uh, I am not them. Uh, but that's my honest uh, appraisal of it, Matteo. But in any case, it was never, I'm sure, the intention of the Russians to occupy all of Ukraine. I do think that the longer the war goes on, uh, their plan will be to occupy much more of it than they might have been intending to occupy at the beginning or indeed before it began. Uh, at, when it began, the Russian demands were minimal, as Lavrov uh, put them. They were essentially for the implementation of the Minsk agreement, guaranteed by Germany and France and signed uh, by the regime in uh, Kiev. Uh, but of course, these war aims have expanded now. Uh, not only uh, is the uh, independence of Crimea now uh, 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 a, a given, it will never, ever be given up. Uh, not only is the independence of uh, Donetsk and Lugansk now a given, will never be given up, but the Mariupol port, which allows a land bridge uh, to the Crimean Peninsula, will never be given up. And the longer the war goes on, the more uh, of the Azov shoreline and so on that may never be given up uh, will uh, will will uh, be taken and held. Uh, a link up with Transnistria uh, will then uh, become a significant war aim uh, of the Russians. So it's in Ukraine's interest. It was in Ukraine's interest to uh, declare its neutrality declare that it would never join any military bloc, that it would never allow any military forces from foreign countries onto their soil, and to accept these other demands. But now that they have refused uh, to do so, and so much blood has been spilled in their refusal to do so, it's difficult to see uh, where this war ends. And I certainly cannot see it. Matteo, thanks for that. Anthony is in Detroit. Let's go to Motortown. Anthony, what would you like to say? Oh, hey, George. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. They say Putin, he's attacking our democracy and he's uh, hiking our prices. He's quite quite a magician, you know, Putin. But, you know, they got their Supreme Court justice in this week and just in time for Roe versus Wade and abortion to just become a big issue again. 
And, you know, as we saw Obama, he's really still in charge when he was there. And, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi, she yeah, he's had the to boss. her trip. To Did the- you see the pictures oh, yeah. of everyone mobbing Obama and leaving uh, poor old Joe standing literally alone? Oh, that's so sad. And you know what's funny? The only people I saw um, uh, getting pictures with Joe Biden were our uh, supposedly progressive squad, uh, you know, AOC and the like. They were putting their pictures with Joe Biden. And after, so what does that even? No one appreciates. No one, yeah. He was doddering old fool. And Nancy Pelosi had to cancel her trip to Taiwan, ostensibly due to COVID. You know, but it, was she feeling under the weather due to the warnings from the Chinese, or was it because they're kicking around the idea of banning congressional stock trading right now? Who knows? I, I think that if she had gone to Taiwan, uh, the mother of all uh, crises with China would have emerged. I think they would have uh, treated that as virtually an act of uh, war. Anthony, thanks as always uh, for that call. Uh, Karine is in Peterborough in England. Let's talk with her. Karine, welcome. Oh, hi. Um, Firstly, it's a pleasure to speak with you, Mr. Galloway. And it's also a pleasure to speak with everybody who's listening. Um, So what I have to say is that, that people over... It regards Britain, um, sorry to be a little bit, you know, just like kind of British at the moment, but there we go. Um, People are freezing here and it's, you know, and we've got a whole winter and we'll have a few weeks of summer and then we'll have the winter. And the gas prices here, I mean, by gas, I mean, you know, the the fuel that heats our homes. Not, 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 not petrol. Yeah, I just thought I'd make that clear for the American well, they're, audience. They're up, yeah, quite. They're, but the gas prices have already risen 54%. And uh, that has partly been mitigated. It would have been bigger uh, by uh, the state, by the government. But they'll not be able to keep on doing that. Uh, so it's quite possible that by next winter, gas prices will have risen by 100%. And it's shocking. And and also at the, um, you know, we go to the supermarket, the the food prices are just going up and up every time you visit. Yeah. And um, and yet, when we turn on our television screens or we turn on the news, um, we find out that, um, you know, like oh, yet again, Mr. Johnson, our prime minister, has been, you know, over to Kiev to go and give them more money. I mean, they've they've already raised. What something like fifty three billion or something, and then the EU is giving them another eleven billion, and and it's just we're talking like telephone numbers being given to Kiev, and and yet all the people in Europe are paying for it, and I mean you know you know Ukraine. I'm sorry to say this, Ukraine isn't part of Europe, and it's not part of NATO, and. It's not part of the EU, it's not part of NATO, it's certainly not part of Britain, but uh, the taxpayers in the NATO countries, the taxpayers in the EU and the taxpayers in the UK uh, are uh, throwing money, telephone numbers, as you correctly put it, a country they could not have picked out on the map uh, just uh, seven weeks ago. Yeah, and and what I want to know is, I mean, like, where is the opposition and and where is our free speech and our you know why can't we hear you know, why can't we have um rt on youtube for example and why can't we listen to the other side and and where is all the money going well uh that's a very good question that we'll spend a lot of years repenting on at leisure where's the money going some of it a lot of it is going up 
up in smoke, uh, but a lot of it is going into the pockets of the oligarchy uh, around the Kiev regime and maybe even to people who are part of the Kiev regime. Uh, there's as much transparency, Karin, on money going to Ukraine as there was on the money we spent on the COVID pandemic and the, uh, the response uh, to it. That is to say, no transparency at all. It is important, the call you have made. I think you speak for England uh, in that. And I think that as the months go on and we calculate the bill and we know more about where the money has gone, you will not be a minority voice at all. Uh, now, uh, let me uh, draw attention to my Patreon page. Uh, it's uh, patreon.com forward slash George Galloway, where there's all kinds of new material uh, going out, including Maxwell the Monster. Now, uh, I watched the BBC uh, documentary. Uh, I think it was called The House of Maxwell. Uh, uh, on uh, television this week, a very fine uh, series, I've got to say, despite it was on the BBC. Uh, if we know about 1% uh, of the real Maxwell story, uh, I'll be surprised. I, I'll be surprised if we know even 1% of the full Maxwell story. But you'll know more if you check out uh, Maxwell the Monster on my Patreon page. Don't forget to donate to the show. Now, if you gave last week, maybe you've taken a holiday this week. That's fine. I accept that. But if you didn't give last week and you haven't given this week, then you're taking a very considerable risk that the show will be brought down for lack of financial resources. And I think as this international university of the airwaves, that would be a very, very sad state of affairs uh, indeed. So it's paypal.me forward slash George Galloway UK. Don't forget the UK at the end of that. That's paypal.me forward slash George Galloway UK. There it is there on the screen. No excuse for not giving. Omar is in Canada. Let's hear from him. Omar, welcome uh, to the show. What would you like to say? Hello, George. Uh, first of all, I'm a big fan. I've been watching you for a long time. Thank you, Omar. I wanted you, Omar. to see what you think about... Uh, I want to see what you think about the growing uh, talk about Finland joining NATO. Uh, yeah, it looks Finland like it's and, and, and Sweden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's becoming a serious Finland and problem. Sweden. Right? Uh, do, you, do you think Russia yeah. is going to react by invading? Also, uh, I doubt it, but it will certainly vastly increase the uh, the total store of tension in the world. Uh, it, you, you know, if Ukraine is close to uh, Moscow. Uh, then, of course, Finland is literally a stone's throw uh, from Leningrad, from St. Petersburg, the second uh, great city uh, in the Russian Federation. Uh, I don't know if it's literally a stone's throw, but you could certainly catapult a stone from Finland uh, to the border of, uh, of St. Petersburg. And uh, the idea that NATO would be there 
with their nuclear weapons and their nuclear bases is simply unconscionable. Uh, and why would Finland do that? Uh, they linked up with the Hitlerites uh, in the uh, Second World War, and uh, they were uh, soundly beaten and punished for doing so. Since when, they have stayed uh, neutral. Um, why would they choose the war camp now when they see what the consequences have been uh, for Ukraine? Last word to you, Omar. Uh, uh, no, that's right. Uh, I was also wondering why uh, Russia didn't react the same way to Estonia and Latvia joining NATO. What's the well, difference Russia between was much, them and uh, Ukraine? R Russia was much weaker at that uh, point in time. Uh, they, they didn't react to the uh, invasion and destruction of Iraq because they were much weaker at that time. But Russia... It has been picked up off the floor, uh, Omar, and is now uh, able to stand tall in international affairs. It's, uh, it's a hypersonic, uh, intercontinental, ballistic superpower. Uh, there is nobody that can fight it in war that doesn't want to risk uh, nuclear obliteration. And its economy, as the strength of the ruble is now showing, uh, is uh, not invulnerable, but uh, not nearly as vulnerable to international uh, sanction as the people applying the sanctions thought that it would be. In short, Omar, everything that uh, the West is now refusing to buy from Russia, they can sell to others and moreover can sell uh, without having to have recourse to the dollar. Uh, they can sell in their own currency or in the currency of friendly countries. Uh, uh, Omar, thanks. I'm, I've, I've got to make way for Raymond in Swansea because he disagrees with me. And I always prioritize those that disagree with me. Go ahead, Raymond. Uh, good evening, George. I just wanted to thank you, first of all, just for a different opinion, for a different side of the story. Um, right. You've uh, got priority. Do, the floor is yours. Um, I, I wish you were more impartial in, in your views in respect yeah. to Ukraine. Do you not consider that perhaps maybe Russia is maybe a bit enough more to continue in Ukraine, hence the reason why it's sort of like vacating the premises as it were and is moving more closer to the east? No, I really and, don't. Uh, and uh, if you thought I was impartial on anything... Uh, Raymond, then you don't know me at all. I'm not impartial about two flies climbing a wall. I'm not impartial about two pub teams uh, down the local park. I have a world view. I have a very clearly defined world view that I've held for more than half a century. So I'm against NATO and I'm against NATO's adventurism. I'm amazed that you think I could be impartial about that. But you live in this country, though, George. You used to be an MP for this country. You've been twice elected. And I, would, and I don't get... I am mean, I not... I, am I I not it, no, before you go any further, are you saying because I live in this country, I cannot oppose my government's policies? Because if you are, you're a fascist. I'm not saying that either, George. I just think you're well, being what's a bit the point too pro-Russian well, in what, some what, of your what, views. What may, I'm not, it's nothing to do with pro-Russia. Nothing at all. 
I'm not with Putin. I was with Zhuganov, his communist opponent. I would have voted against Putin in the presidential election. I'm against NATO. I'm against NATO in Yugoslavia, though I wasn't for Milosevic. I'm against NATO in Colombia, uh, though I have nothing to do with the politics of Latin America. Don't you see? I'm against NATO, which is an imperialist military alliance. And I resent the fact that you bring up that I live in this country, as if all of us in this country have got an obligation to support NATO. What did you even mean by that? I mean, you just seem to be quite far. You're, you're very opposed and you're very pro-Russian in some of your views. That's why I I'm wish not you were pro-Russian. Like, I'll never be impartial. I look, if you want impartiality, uh, then, uh, you know, uh, read a, a storybook. Everybody's partial, Raymond. The difference is 99 are partial towards NATO and one, me, is impartial about everything in life that does not involve the domination of rich over poor or powerful over powerless. I'm not impartial on any of these things. I have political views, which if you're watching me, you must already have been aware of. But, it's, but what you're saying is like, that's the world over. It doesn't matter who runs it or what's part of the country. Like the top one percent rule everyone else. That's the way it's always yeah, been. Yeah, and, and I'm against that. I struggle against it. I have done all my life. Do you so think I've got some obligation, you... Raymond? Raymond, do you think I've got some obligation to support Joe Biden, an imbecile that shouldn't be allowed out? alone to buy a loaf? You think I've got some obligation to support him? Where do you get that from? No, I just think he's a relic of the Cold War as well. And, he's, and he should never have been elected. Well, um, he was elected. And he's now leading you over a cliff. And you want me to be impartial? Son. You want me to be impartial about Joe Biden leading us over a cliff? About Joe Biden, I'm talking about, I was focusing more on Zelensky, who I think has done a fantastic job facing down the barrel of a Russian gun in the last month. But, I don't think many world leaders could have, could have achieved or have done what he's done in the last well, month, uh, in all fairness to him. It doesn't matter how much you praise him, he's not going to share his $1.3 billion with you, Raymond. Uh, but the point is, this is not a war between Ukraine and Russia. This is a NATO war. Which part of that don't you understand? No, I agree with you. I don't think Ukraine should have joined NATO. And I completely agree with Putin's concerns that obviously well, that he would end the encroachment well, on the border. Well, but I don't, I don't have said that? to NATO Why couldn't, Raymond, why couldn't they have said that and avoided the war? I'll tell you why. Because Joe Biden wouldn't allow them to. You well, can I think follow. Zelensky's look, come to his senses a little bit and he's realised that perhaps that's not going to happen. Well, look, uh, but at the same time, follow, Russia you can follow the old man. It can, it can chew when it's invaded Ukraine. It has. Well, it, it was, it, it was expecting an easy victory. Well, will, you, will, you, will you come back and talk to me again 
when the oh, war is over. Of course, it's a pleasure speaking come to back, you, and come, I have got respect come, for come, you. Come, come, come back to me when the war is over, and we'll see who bit off more than they can chew. It's been a pleasure disagreeing with you, Raymond. You got my blood up. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, thank you to all our subscribers and listeners to the Moats podcast and to the new listeners to my Galloway Show podcast. The Galloway Show is uh, me and the wife and a pal in Manchester operating the sound, and it has been a phenomenal success. It doesn't cost anything to make, therefore it doesn't cost anything to watch. It's only on YouTube, exclusively on YouTube, on my YouTube channel, and it's already got double the views in episode two that it got in episode one. And I predict that rate of growth will continue. And then we made a podcast out of it. So the best bits of my Wednesday, 10 p.m. Galloway show on YouTube are now out on a podcast. And between these two podcasts, we're actually turning the world of podcasts upside down. We are now available and listened to in 175 countries around the world, which is all the countries that you can have podcasts in. <laughs> you know, I wanted to get to 193, but that 193 includes territories where you cannot download a podcast, like Antarctica, just to give one example. Uh, but uh, hundreds of thousands are now downloading uh, the podcast. So you can do it on Apple and I think on Spotify and the usual places where you get your podcast. And uh, lots of people are being so kind as to leave five-star reviews. I hope that you'll do so uh, also. Now, I've got a call from Moscow. Am I allowed to take a call from Moscow? Am I breaking the law uh, by talking to someone in Moscow? I don't know. I don't care. Agada is in Moscow. Go ahead, Agada. Hello. Good evening, George. Um, Mr. George Galloway, it's an honor talking to you. Um, Thank you. God bless you, your family, your wife, and your children. And um, I'm glad that you have this show. The truth has not been out so much. And you're one of the great people doing uh, lots of things. You'll be remembered for thousands of years, and historians will write about you, uh, the great things you've done. And your children and your your descendants will be remembered. People will be like, those are the descendants of George Galloway. So you've done, you have a legacy that will go on for hundreds of years. And now to my point, I've been living in, I'm from Nigeria, by the way, and I know you're way far away from ignorance, so you know Nigeria is in Africa, but for people watching that may not know, Nigeria is in Africa and I am black. And I've been living in Moscow since 2014. I came here for education. And while I was coming, Russia offered many Nigerians, Africa and Africans, scholarships to come and study in Russia. I've been here. They have a wonderful culture. I've watched on television. Uh, my brother lives in America and my sister lives in England. And I've seen Black Lives Matter on television. <laughs> I have to tell you something. If you want to find a place where Black Lives Matter, you come to Russia. 
actually Russia, Black Lives Matter here. All I've had since I've got here is help. I've had a no, I've had a problem with a neighbor, and the police came, and they did not harass me. They listened to my story and went back to my neighbor and told my neighbor that don't bother him because he's a foreigner. Don't play jokes with him. That's exactly what they did. So respectful, and. I'm, I'm speechless. Uh, I'm speechless, Agada, at uh, everything that you have said. I'm greatly moved uh, by it. Uh, yeah. I, I I recall vividly uh, the Patrice Lumumba University in Moscow. I, I went there many times. Uh, I cannot bear uh, the organized hatred uh, of Russia the Russian people, their culture. It's not the case that they're against Putin. It's just not. They're banning even dead Russians who died long before the Soviet Union existed, never mind the post-Soviet period in Russian history and uh, culture. And I think that in just a few moments, you have encapsulated uh, the greatness that lies within the Russian culture and Russian society. And I'm very glad that you, you did. I've got to move on, though, because Sarah is in Brazil. And we always prioritize women callers. Go ahead, Sarah. Hi, George. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for educating me. Um, you have thank a growing you. popularity in Brazil. Uh, you have become uh, one of the voices that the progressive people like to hear. So I try to bring um, your thoughts and to mention you in your show and all the links. But I'm calling Thank you, you because you are one of the fewest people who are not afraid to talk about Julian Assange. And tomorrow, the 11th of April, is three days that he was brutally ripped off by Scotland Yard from the embassy, which butchered his right for political asylum. And since he, since he was cowardly removed by the British police from that embassy, um, any single picture of wedding, of, of him or his wedding, they have all been prohibited. And this act to disappear Julian Assange so that his legacy, more relevant than ever, does not serve an example of his courage, his coherence, integrity for those that are here and will come. So I want to say, um, and it's all the way that the sociopathic predatorship of those people who think they own the world, they want our future, can carry on to dispose of our existence as their instruments. And I just want to say, I would like to ask everyone not to forget about Julian Assange, who's sitting in Belmarsh prison. Tomorrow there is a protest in Parliament Square at three o'clock. And Assange, imagine what Assange has yet to reveal about COVID, about Russia, about Ukraine. And in fact, there is a cable from William Burns, uh, uh, CIA director, one of the sober voices that said, Russian, that, that I have the cable in front of me, but it's basically saying that Russia eventually will have to decide whether to intervene or not, a decision that Russia does not have to face. So WikiLeaks tells the stories that have been passed and the stories to come. And I'd like to thank you for your honesty no, the, the and thanks, for your uh, courage. 
Thank you, Sarah. Very beautiful, moving call. Uh, the thanks are due to you uh, for bringing up the demonstration tomorrow in Parliament Square in London at three o'clock to mark the third anniversary of one of the most shameful days in modern British history. And there's a lot of competition uh, for that title. Uh, the, the crucifixion of Julian Assange for that is what it is. Uh, continues. Uh, Julian Assange is a friend of mine, but even if he was not, uh, I would give my last breath to free him because Julian Assange is a world historic figure that will be remembered for centuries for the service that he has done to humanity. Thank you uh, for that uh, call. Uh, a reminder, if you're watching on YouTube, just click on Super Chat and you can hit the donate button there. It's a very quick way of uh, donating. Uh, tonight's top Super Chat contributors are Ansab Gondal, uh, who donated the largest amount and is now our official Super Chat Supremo. Thanks, Ansab. Ivan Pedro Jimenez Correal, big thanks to you, Ivan. Peter Bram, big thanks to you, Peter. Demetrius Zaferis, thank you so much. And C. Fleming, thank you, all of you who have donated tonight. You can still donate even when we've gone off air. Please do so, so that we can reach the height that we did last week and pay for the entire show uh, for uh, the good of this open university of the airwaves. I've got to clear the decks because there's a legend on the line. It is the wonderful Norma in Bristol. How are you keeping, Norma? Oh, George, not that special, but um, you keep me going. Um, yeah. I just wanted to tell you about an argument I had today. Now, my yeah. son, um, uh, we, we were talking about the war, and I told him that really you, you mustn't believe everything, you know, that you hear. And he shouted, Mum, you know, haven't you seen all these bombings by Russia to the Ukrainians? And I mean, all of it's horrible anyway. But I said to him, I'm no, no Putin fan, but what I did was I recommended that he look at Laura Logan. Now, do you know her? She's no, an American. Me. Oh, she's brilliant. She's an American war journalist. And on YouTube, she has Ukraine on fire. <clears throat> now, this was recommended by a Twitter friend to me to see. And it was so good and so informative. And if you could get her on your show, I think uh, that people would be done. very, very interested. Laura Logan. The correct. Is that L-A-R-A? And then Logan, L-O-G-A-N. She's an American It's brilliant, George. Consider Thank it you. done, Norma. We will uh, do it. But I'm, I, w I must ask before you go uh, how your health is, because the whole of the audience uh, oh. cares very much uh, about you and miss you when you don't call uh, or we're not able to put you on air. I hope that you know that. I hope you know that you have the love of all of us here at the oh, Open George. University of the Airwaves. Uh, and uh, we pray uh, for your continuing health, your recovery from uh, the uh, way that you have been feeling poorly these last 
few weeks and your uh, lovely husband also. Thank you, Norma, for that tip. I promise you, uh, because it was your recommendation, we'll get Lara Logan on the mother of all talk shows. We're almost out of time, alas. I'll see you all again on Wednesday on YouTube, on my YouTube channel for The Galloway Show. Uh, it's just me, my wife, and my pal in Manchester, but I think it's pretty high quality. See you next week also. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm.